This episode of Working Lunch is fueled by DoorDash. Mr. Cole, you were in Washington, D.C. this week at the National Restaurant Association's Public Affairs Council, and you were at a, an event hosted by our friends at DoorDash. How was the, how was the conference? Public Affairs Conference was awesome. Great job. Hat tip to the NRA. This is the first time, Joe, that they've had an after party. Usually we just kind of find our own way and a lot of us group up and go out. But this is the first time they had like an evening event. Phenomenal. Phenomenal finger food, Joe. Um, I sat by, there's a whole like tuna boat thing, which I passed right over and landed on the orange chicken and did not move from there. The entire time I had my, it was like a Moscow mule cup. It was, you know, it was a commemorative cup that, that had a, a tasty little, little beverage in there. It was way too sweet, but, but all too delicious. Um, and that and the orange glaze chicken bites. I didn't move, man. I sat there for like probably 90 minutes before I, I went back and put my head on the pillow. It was a great event overall. And that was a great way to cap off the night. Did you did you mean to make a wedding crashers reference there with the uh, delicious finger foods? I try to throw a weddings crasher reference in, you know, every time I speak. So, um, yeah, you got to play like a champion, Joe. Well, it was well attended. Like I say, between five and six hundred people uh, attending that. It was uh, it was necessary. Kudos to the NRA for putting on uh, a good event. I am sorry that I was not there. I was otherwise. Uh, on a different conference circuit. I wish I could have been with you guys. Um, but yeah, it's, it's important when, uh, when the industry gets together, makes ourselves heard on the Hill and uh, good for the NRA for uh, putting that together and executing that. Um, any last words on the public affairs conference, my friend? Attendance was sky high, as you just mentioned. Uh, I think it was the highest ever. The format was phenomenal. Um, the way that they kind of Interspice videos, they had all the staff up there talking about these issues. And we can talk about it a little bit more and the issues they dove into, but it was just a good conference show. Well, good. Good for us, good for them, good for the industry. And on that note, let's do the show. Can I help you? We need to talk about your flair. I think I'm going to have to go superside. I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. We need a political revolution. Mr. Vice President, I'm speaking. Come on, man. With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. From the home office of Align Public Strategies in downtown Orlando, Florida, this is Working Lunch coming up on the podcast. The issue of service fees is making front page news lately as operators look for ways to pass on high labor costs. Along with a changing dynamic around tipping, could the industry be setting itself up for a fight with policymakers and opinion leaders? We'll discuss. And the tip credit elimination battle in Chicago heated up this week with the mayor clearly leading the charge. If they are successful, are there implications for a statewide law in Illinois? How about other states? We'll take a look at that as well. We'll discuss those issues and wrap it up with the legislative scorecard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm Joe Kefauver, along with my line public strategies partner, Franklin Coley. Mr. Coley, uh, as we alluded to in the first part, you're up on Capitol Hill uh, last week. But one of the big issues we're seeing in the papers the last few weeks is a lot of noise about service fees and operators, big and small, starting to tack on service fees to customers. Did any of that conversation come up last week in Washington? 
That wasn't a big, uh, not at the public affairs conference. The big issues at the public affairs conference were really the the credit card competition act, a WIA, which Joe, I think you've been lobbying in for sixty two years, um, and uh, you know a couple other kind of issues that are important business model issues important to the industry. I do like the credit card bill. I do like talking about a WIA. I think those are appropriate. Um, umbrella kind of uh, messaging bills for us. And so I, I think it was great. The, the way they framed it up in the collateral and the way they were talking about it in the Hill, I think it, um, it helps support all the other issues we're tackling at the state and local level. And we have a lot that we're tackling related to banks and swipe fees and, and taxes on those. It's an issue that's bubbling at the state level. And uh, similarly, on our kind of workforce bundle of issues, which is a big issue at the state and local level, I think the conversation in D.C. around WIA kind of supports that and vice versa. So for two big kind of messaging bills, I thought that they it was framed up well at the public affairs conference for us to go and, and, and talk on the Hill about issues that are kind of winning issues. I think we're if, I think if you poll those, those are winning issues for us. And I think they work well and support all our kind of downstream state and local priorities as well. But Franklin, when you talked about the issues playing out at the state level and those issues coming at us like swipe fees and, and some of the workforce development stuff, but getting back to this emerging service fee issue, boy, I tell you, it seems like we're bringing a bunch of wrath onto ourselves. kind of the feel of that child labor stuff we've been talking about the last few months. What is going on? in the service fee world. I feel like we're walking into a self-made trap here. Well, um, if you Google restaurant fee right now for the past week or month or whatever, you're going to see a hundred articles, um, different brands. It was an LA independent that got hammered for adding on a service fee this week. There was a, a brand, uh, uh, I think it was Buffalo Wild Wings actually that um, got dinged because the friend, you know, because they were trying out a service fee. Literally, if you go back for a month, you will find all these service fees and all the kind of issues they've run into. The big announcement this week, Joe, is Toast is adding a ninety-nine cent fee um, to to all its uh, deliveries. So. And we have this conversation in D.C. around this. I am agnostic around these fees. I could care less. I mean, any one singular fee, you know, you can make a good argument for it. You can make a good case for it. But the problem is, is a lot of these fees, I don't think, are thought through holistically. And let's just let's hit pause in this for a sec, Joe. Let's put this conversation over here to the left. And then let's let's go talk about what's happening in the Biden administration right now and this jihad on junk fees, which is largely not in our industry or segment. You know, it, they're looking at these other types of fees. One of the things in their crosshair, the kind of the Airbnb or the, the hotel, you know, the resort fees or the janitorial fees. You know, that's one thing in the Biden administration's crosshairs, but it's not the only one. There's a, there's a whole bunch more. So there's this growing kind of discontent with these slip-on, add-on fees. They create problems around potentially deceptive advertising. They create um, all sorts of other kind of legal issues, tax issues, et cetera. I am agnostic on any particular fee. I could care less, you know, but 
you got to be careful in the way you structure it and combine together this, oh, let's throw another fee in here for Obamacare and another fee in here for this and another fee in here for that. It is, it is, it hurts us, I think, with some customers. It hurts our credibility with policymakers, and it's going to encourage policymakers and regulators to put us on their hit list. And I think we're on this trend line now where people are getting way too comfortable just throwing another fee in there to make the PL work this week and not thinking through what the long-term backlash of some of this is going to be. So let me play devil's advocate. So you mentioned you mentioned the hotels. Um, you know, we as a consumer, I'm gonna wear my consumer hat now. We we consumers tend to bitch about these fees. We, you know, there's nothing more offensive than going up to a hotel and they put a, you know, three hundred dollar deposit down so they can make a couple couple nickels worth of interest on you while you're there. The resort fee, um, obviously what the airlines do to consumers is, you know, outrageous in terms of their, their fees and the baggage fees and this fee and that fee. But we consumers tend to tend to talk a good game, but we still vote with our feet and air airlines are full and hotels are full and uh, restaurant numbers are good. Does it really is it having any operational impact at all or you think it will, Franklin? Well, and that's that's why it's so attractive to uh, to slot into this this space. Um, policymakers and regulators are paying attention, and that's that's a little bit different than the you know how far can we push it with the customer before we lose business, and if we lose business, are we making more through the customers we're keeping? I'll, I'll leave that to the the smarter you know number crunchers where that magic like you know that magic tipping point is. But for our space legislators, regulators are increasingly looking at this and saying, you know what, this is not right. Uh, we're going to get in there. We're going to roll up our sleeves and start start regulating here. We're going to do market intervention. And so those are kind of, in my mind, two separate questions. I'm I'm agnostic on these fees. If the customers don't mind and, you know, you can do it, hallelujah, you know, go it's America. You, you you know do what you want. If you lose customers, that's that's on you. You know that. But this is drawing the attention of regulators now, and I think that's that's the challenge. And so, on any particular fee, I'm not saying don't do it. I'm not saying go away from it. I'm saying you just need to be thoughtful because there's increased scrutiny in this space, and there will be moving forward because that siren song, Joe, that we can do this, and that customers aren't going to. Uh, to respond with their feet, they're not going to walk away, is incentivizing more and more to pile into this space and get more and more creative in terms of how they structure these fees. There may be circumstances in, you know, where it makes a lot of sense. Um, honestly, I think that's definitely going to be the case in a lot of, in a lot of places, um, but uh, there's some drawbacks as well. And it's, it's not happening in a vacuum. We've talked about this before uh, with this kind of point of sale tipping pressure, you know, all over the place. There's press. Franklin, uh, in today, uh, today, as we speak, Friday, June 23rd, there is an article in The Hill, one of the leading mag, uh, publications, daily publications on Capitol Hill for legislators and their staffs. And the title is, Is Restaurant Tipping Getting Out of Hand? So you you got consumers that on the one hand are feeling more and more pressure to tip, you know, to, to subsidize these wages, 
and then also being slapped with further service fees to subsidize these operators' wages. To me, there may be a, a, a point here where consumers really start to push back. And what, what, what was the outlet of that, Joe? It's uh, The Hill. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then we we talked about last week, Axios had a big spread on how, you know, there's essentially this, you know, universal tipping and all the, the, the POS systems now is kind of creating a tip, a bit of a tipping backlash where consumers and customers are turning against tipping. And, you know, why do I need to tip for this? You start combining all this stuff together, Joe, and you start to get some consumer, animosity and then policymakers and regulators are looking in this space as they see consumers they make the calculation that the biden administration has made that like this is good politics to go after this you can see a lot of this stuff kind of working together to create a bad environment where brands that have done this oh we're gonna do a fee here we're gonna do a fee there and all of a sudden you're out in an island by yourself and you are target number one when the, the chickens come home to roost. And so I think that's that's the warning in this conversation, Joe, is like, you know, a fee here, a fee there that's well thought out, okay, you know, not a big deal, but you have to be thoughtful about how you approach this. Well, Mr. Coley, our new mayor of Chicago, Brandon Johnson, obviously been making news with his election, his first 100 days. And if you remember correctly, he... Um, put eliminating the tip credit as one of the agenda items he wanted to either vigorously pursue or, or get done in his first 100 days in office. And lo and behold, it's only been in there about six weeks, I think, uh, maybe, maybe five weeks. And um, press conference this week in the Windy City with Brandon Johnson, a number of progressive aldermen, including his floor leader uh, and folks from One Fair Wage uh, kind of starting hitting the hitting the push button, hitting the start button on their campaign to eliminate the tip credit. Franklin, it seems to me Chicago is a, you know, kind of kind of an industry home base almost. The National Restaurant Association was based there a long time. You know, they still have an you know big footprint there. We've got the big show in Chicago. It's one of the top three or four shows in Chicago every year. Boy, I'd hate to lose on that stage in Chicago and have that tip credit eliminated without the industry putting up a hell of a fight. And it's a restaurant city too. You know, I mean, it's, you know, um, it is kind of a trendsetter too. I, I don't want to overplay the, the trendsetter. I, you know, I don't know that people in Michigan are watching what's going on in Chicago, but I, I do think that it, it does have some, I think 10 or 15 years ago, that kind of, like dominoes mattered a lot more than it does today, but I think it still matters. I think it matters for a big restaurant city to, to do something like this. It's, it's just totally crazy that head tax minimum wage and elimination of the tip credit are like the top priorities of the first hundred days in a city that has so many problems like Chicago. It's just, it's outrageous. Um, I, yeah. I, I mean, they had 35, 35 more shootings, this past weekend, seven more fatalities, and the guy's going to press conference about tip credit. I just it boggles so, my mind. I do think let's not kid ourselves in the uphill battle we're we're facing in Chicago. You know, we've got what like a third ish of this new city council is is super progressive. We got a new progressive mayor. I mean, this is an uphill climb. 
But we have a new mayor who hasn't governed before, who's just reorganized city government and probably kicked over some some apple carts in the process, um, just finding his feet, doesn't have all the levers dialed in. So there is an opportunity here to disrupt and and notch a W, even if just a partial W. I do think if the mayor stumbles out of the starting blocks here, and quite frankly, any one of these priorities, then it jeopardizes the rest of these priorities. And heck, maybe forces the city to recalibrate and refocus on some other pressing issues and, and leave these alone, or at least walk away from some of them. And so I think it's critically important the industry bring to bear resource here in an organized manner. And quite frankly, you know, flex. Um, you know, this this is a time to uh, kind of put things on the line and and leave no stone unturned and and push hard to get a good outcome uh, in the city of Chicago. Yeah. And, you know, I worry about, you know, the dominoes, you know, downstate, literally, you know, you could you could see a scenario where, you know, the Senate president and the Speaker of the House in Illinois are both from Cook County, they're both Chicago guys. And you could see this all of a sudden being a statewide you know, conversation as well before too long. And so, you know, those dominoes can can start to to fall pretty fast in a place like Illinois. And then, you know, all of a sudden New York is is looking at it and, and we're, we're in a problem. Right. And, you know, I think where we've been effective on this tip credit conversation, if it's such a legislative level, uh, is with our own employees. And, you know, I think employees know that their 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 incomes, certainly the high end of their incomes, are being threatened by these types of uh, proposals. So I hope we can, you know, like in Maine and some other states, we've really gotten servers in, in involved in this conversation. We can do the same thing in in Maine. I mean, in Chicago, because they're the most effective, you know, messenger for what what the, the downside, the unintended consequences of this stuff. So I'm I'm pretty nervous about what's going on in Chicago. Yeah, I mean, the other piece is we got to keep our coalition together. And quite frankly, expand our coalition. The head tax allows for that, where we, we're pulling in the retailers, we're pulling in the Chicagoland Chamber, we're pulling in some of these other groups um, to speak as a united voice against all these kind of mandates and and not not getting divided and and kind of conquered, which is obviously always going to be a strategy of, of the other side. So, yeah, it's going to be... Going to be a lot to report, Joe. I suspect in the coming weeks in Chicago, it won't be a uh, a, a sleepy July there. Doesn't seem like, um, and things are probably going to really heat up. Turn the heat up come August. I can't even remember where we are in the hundred days, but we're three weeks in. Does that sound right to you? Four I was weeks? thinking more like five weeks. I think it's only about five weeks in. So I mean, we're pretty deep. We're a third of the way into the first hundred days. So you know that. If they're gonna if they're gonna get some stuff over the finish line, like they probably need to start moving, and I guess that's what this press conference was about this week. Yeah, I mean, in, you know, the the, the the city council, if they had their way, we'd already have that, right? Lori Lightfoot uh, was able to kill that effort uh, a year or two ago, and uh, not only is, will this mayor not kill that effort, he's leading the effort. Uh, so, um, you know, precarious time in Chicago potentially with ripple effects in Illinois and other states. So we'll be watching closely.
It's time for the legislative scorecard. We'll go around the country and update you on the latest legislative and regulatory developments in Franklin. Big, big development up in Michigan this week with the Michigan Supreme Court saying, all right, we'll, we'll take this case. That's right. Man, I'm super tired of reporting in this, Joe. It's been like five years of reporting in this. The state Supreme Court announced that it will hear arguments uh, on whether or not the uh, legislative maneuver some years ago uh, was legal. So I don't even, even know where to go through all this, but the bottom line is uh, advocates put it on the ballot. The Republican led legislature at the time pulled it off the ballot, amended it and passed it, which basically removed it from the ballot and quite frankly, took a lot of the sting out of the minimum wage increase, made it much moderated. It is, is kind of an understatement, but they moderated the, the, the minimum wage increase and then it has been tied up in the courts ever since. Uh, this may be a moot point because the legislature is is probably looking at this anyway, um, as well as probably removing the preemption at some point in the state. And the industry is going to have to fight hard to keep that that preemption in place. It's, that's probably going to be a, a big upcoming fight and, quite frankly, an important one. What a nightmare. You know, it's up to California when you've got all these cities with different minimum wages. It's can it's super problematic for for brands. Um, so that that's where things sit there, Joe. Never dull. Um, we are. I am surprised that the that, that it's gone this far, but uh, we'll we'll see. Uh, I know Mr. Winslow up in Michigan will be all over it. Franklin, um, kind of a surprise a little bit. Minimum wage legislation advanced out of the Pennsylvania House, $15 minimum wage legislation. What do you think? Yeah, it goes to the Senate where it's it's basically dead on arrival. The The thing to watch here kind of a moving forward basis is does House leadership try to slip this into some other piece of legislation that's moving? And so that's that's what we'll kind of kind of be watching uh, on, a, on a moving forward basis. Um, and there may be some panicked action alerts if that starts to happen. Yeah, the, the only interesting thing about the, and I think you are correct. I would bet it would it would not uh, make it out of the Senate. It's a six seat uh, Republican majority. However, the Senate sponsor is a Republican, and the head of the Republican Study Group, Study Committee, Policy Committee in the Pennsylvania Senate. So uh, they'll at least get one Republican vote. But uh, I, I do think it's an uphill battle uh, in Pennsylvania. Franklin, switching to paid leave, a little bit of activity out there. Uh, the Senate in Maine passed out that paid family and medical leave bill that we've been watching. That's right. So it is um, the Maine Senate uh, has advanced that bill out, passed it. It will now head to the House, Joe. So, you know, Maine is very deliberate, likes to take its time. Uh, it's, this is pretty standard 12 weeks paid leave and it's it's split between the employer and the employee. So we'll see if it if it makes it through its process in, in Maine. Tell you, and remember, we reported on this a few weeks ago. You know, the governor, being very coy, hasn't come out one way or the other on paid leave. Hasn't come out one way or the other on the wage issue and some of the captive audience issues. She kind of Jana Mills knows how to keep her powder dry. So we'll see how this plays out in uh, in Maine. Franklin also uh, switching to the middle part of the country, Nebraska. Uh, advocates for a statewide paid leave law have started gathering signatures for the twenty twenty four ballot. Indeed, they have. And, 
if memory serving correctly, I think Nebraska had a minimum wage um, item on the ballot within the, the past couple cycles. Again, if memory serving correctly, I think the thresholds to get something in the Nebraska ballot are relatively low. It obviously is not as populated a state as, as many other states, and, and therefore those thresholds would tend to be lower. So getting it on the ballot may be relatively comparatively easy. So this is one that we'll uh, keep an eye on and, and watch. Um, and uh, as we know, this stuff, it polls well. So if it does make the ballot, there's a good chance that it's going to find its way into law. And switching to labor policy, your favorite United States senator, the burn, was on fire this week uh, going after, not only going after Amazon, but uh, held a help committee passed three pieces of very pro-labor legislation that have absolutely no chance of ever becoming law. Yeah, these would be messaging bills, the PRO Act, Paycheck Fairness, and some other stuff. But uh, yep, a little grandstanding, uh, but that's what, that's what old Bernie does. Tuesday, sent a letter to Starbucks CEO Andy, uh, what's his name, Andy Janney, and uh, saying that uh, egregious workplace violations. And then on, on Wednesday, he's running a circus in the help committee on a bunch of bills that will never see the law. So Bernie was active, active this week. Mr. Coley, switching to California, our little uh, joint employer bill that passed the assembly is scheduled for a hearing next week in Sacramento in a Senate committee. A lot going on around that issue. Yeah, 1228 just kind of keeps marching through the through the process. Um, so you got to get engaged if you haven't yet in this issue and try to slow it down and, and stop it. And I know our, our friends at uh, California Restaurant Association, but you know Matt Haller and the IFA team and Jeff Hanscom are working their tails off on that bill. So uh, doing everything they can. Uh, Frank, we talked about the Maine governor earlier. She has until next week to figure out whether she's going to pa- uh, sign that captive audience legislation. Uh, yep. And that would make Maine the fourth I think the Maine governor and the New York governor are going to be racing to see who signs it first and which one becomes the fourth state, um, the fourth and then the fifth, of course. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I mean, you've, we've got a pretty good argument not to sign it, which will probably fall in deaf ears in New York. But, you know, but uh, potentially this opens a state up to a bunch of costly litigation. Almost certainly it will. Um, and so that's a pretty good argument to try to convince a, a governor to veto this. We'll see if we'll see if there's that message is well received in uh, in Maine or not. And you just mentioned New York where that captive audience legislation passed. The legislature is sitting on that, that governor's desk as well. But uh, one piece of legislation that did not pass in New York that kind of surprised me was the the wage theft legislation. Yeah, well, they've, they've been they, they've take a, taken a run at this sweat act a couple sessions now. The challenge with the sweat act getting over the finish line is it's freaking crazy. So um, I think that's where the wheels fall off the wagon. I mean, essentially, it just puts such a huge burden on the employer, basically making them kind of guilty and, until proven innocent. So fortunately, some level of sanity seems to 
catch hold at the the very end of legislative session and, and derail it uh, year after year. They did try to amend it this year to to give it a a final chance of passage, and again it fell. But it was it made it pretty deep into the process last legislative session, and I want to say the one before that too, but don't don't quote me on that. So expect to see it back in some form next year. This is clearly a priority of the unions, and is not gonna not gonna go away. And Franklin, shifting to uh, labor activism, Franklin, do you remember, you, you, you're probably too young, but there used to be this this Looney Tunes cartoon, Ralph the Wolf and Sam the Sheepdog, and they were kind of friends, and they go to work together during the day, in the mornings, and they'd punch in the clock, and the wolf would spend the day trying to steal the sheep, and the sheep would sheepdog would spend the day uh, catching the wolf, and at the end of the day, they would punch out literally at a clock and go home together, and it was just kind of this day-in, day-out siege with the both of them. That kind of is like the NLRB in Starbucks. It's like every day the NLRB goes in, punch the clock. All right, let's roll up the sleeves and let's start throwing some some shade on Starbucks. End of day, punch out. Next day, come back, do the same thing. They were busy again this week, kind of pin, you know using Starbucks as their local pinata. I think the I think the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote is is a more relevant relevant cultural reference. That's that's before they were spinning the the individual slides in front of candlelight you know um you know but but yeah hold on um, hold on hold on hold on ralph the wolf bears a striking resemblance to wiley coyote as they virtually have the same design except ralph has a red nose instead of the coyote's black one and white eyes and fangs so they're a little different one preceded the other wow if i if i could get that level of attention to detail day in day out and and uh and our and our other issues that would be that would be hey, pal, I, you know when i was a kid there were three channels and no remote control man so you, <laughs> you had to pick up you know you watched you know so yeah you're right it's it's a it's a back and forth between the nrb starbucks I don't, what 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 happened this week nrb ruled this week the company broke the law in handling labor issues now shuttered store in in seattle so it's just the latest literally every week there's, to your point, there's some back and forth. The other big news for Starbucks this week, and we reported on it last week, that a couple of stores in the union had pushed back on the company related to their pulling down pride decor. That was at least the the allegation coming from union members. And it got a ton of press. And the union was like, hey, we've we we got something here. And so this this week. We had the uh, the way it's being reported is 150 stores have gone on strike in reaction to Starbucks conduct pulling down Pride decor today. Tell as you we speak that, today on Friday, the June 23rd, as we speak, they're supposed to be striking striking today. So. Yeah, so you know the allegations last week, as reported, sound sounded a little. A little strained, you know. I don't know the facts of the case. The company is is saying that this is not this did not happen. Workers are alleging that you know this is a company orchestrated, you know, thing in response. Anyway, they can argue that in the press. What we know is the union is making good hay in the media, kind of striking at one of the things that Starbucks has always distinguished itself on, which is kind of leadership in this space. And so, for any brand that's that's challenging, and, and I'm sure it's creating some heartburn uh, in Starbucks corporate. 
Well, that's the scorecard for this week, my friend. It's late June, July 4th coming up. I mean, it's going to get kind of slow here on the scorecard. We'd be able to do the scorecard on a in, uh, in about two minutes here coming up in a couple of weeks. And we will definitely have another scorecard for you next week. Well, my friend, another week, another pod. And there's only one policy nerd, more nerdy than me, and that's you. And uh, you put on a, on the uh, on the board this week a new study out of the University of Pennsylvania, the Wharton School of Business, alma mater, our former president. And the study is entitled "Why Raising the Minimum Wage Has Short-Term Benefits but Long-Term Costs." Mr. Coley, you have the floor. Yeah, I mean the main findings here line up with. Uh, a lot of the stuff we've talked about in the past and a lot of other studies, and that is that the earned income tax credit <clears throat> is a much better place to create more value for workers than increasing the minimum wage. Um, and that is economists across the board, left to right, you know, there's broad consensus that that is true and that is the case and that this is the better mechanism to um, increase value for, for workers without all the negative, you know, implications and, and long-term impacts of increasing the minimum wage. So that's the basic, like fundamental finding of the study, which is in line with a lot of other studies. But this is the first one I've seen in a while, Joe. Um, I think we talked about it last week. We certainly talked about before that the labor community has a tendency just to have this constant pipeline of studies that find that the minimum wage is great and there's no negative impacts and da 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 and there's no trade-offs and this uh it's it's always good to see more data points out there that are quite frankly more realistic and more balanced and this is one of those yeah i mean the, the last 2 years we we've had we talked about it a million times in this podcast that it's all over the press you know the biggest driver of our inflation in, in our national inflation has been wage inflation and wage inflation has been proven beyond a doubt over the last two years to be a major driver in across the board inflation. And what these economists are saying is, is artificial mandated wage increases are inherently inflationary. So yes, you're in raising this wage, but it's causing this other inflation that's just eroding that, that magical buying power that you think you're giving these workers by this mandated wage is getting eroded by the inflation that wage causes. So if you want to play politics, play in the wage space. If you want to help the buying power of a particular class of workers, you play in the tax space. So, you know, serious people are going to play in the tax space. Political, you know, toadies are going to play in the, the wage space. And I think we got to be more aggressive as an industry, as, as a business community in saying that it's, it's, I mean, it's across the board to your point, left, right tax code is the better place to solve a problem. If that's what you're really trying to do, you're trying to get political points and carry the water for the labor community. You play in the wage space. So data point, you know, 11,000 on that front. My, uh, my wife was lamenting the other day. I don't remember all the numbers, so I'm not going to you know, don't quote me on this, but, you know, she's a physician assistant, which is, you know, you got to go to school and everything for that. Um, and somehow she saw some headline about, you know, drivers wages and what they were at. And, you know, it was like 48 or $54 an hour or something starting wage. So you had to go get your, your 
What's what's your what's what's your long haul trucker driver's license show that the DL CDL CDL commercial driver's license CDL you had to get your CDL but once you got that like the starting wage was like forty eight dollars an hour or something like that and she was lamenting how that was essentially close to the really not that far off the starting wage for PAs um, physicians assistants which and um, this is just a normal you know complaining session. Don't read too much into that. But, um, but what, what struck me is like that, that wage translates through the entire economy because everything gets in a truck and is delivered. And so, you know, is that, is that wage climbs? So does the cost of everything within our economy. And so, you know, that the ripples of spiking wages and we're desperate, this country is desperate for drivers right now. Um, so, and there's no, there's no, that wage is not going down anytime soon. If anything, it's going to continue going up. And and the ripple effect of that through every good within the American economy will be felt by all of us. So anyway, that's it, Joe. I'm going to step now, now off the off the soapbox. But um, that was a little household conversation over the weekend. And, uh, you know, it, it brought the chickens home to roost. I think it's twice I've used that. Maybe I can get in another Wedding Crashers uh, uh, reference here. I think no excuses play like a champion, Joe. I'm just going to end with that. That's that's the <laughs> podcast this week. Well, there you go. Uh, and check for uh, next Monday's Midnight Reads. That will be that study will be included next Monday's Midnight Reads. Uh, all right, my man. Well, that is our pod for this week. And we will be back with you for another episode of Working Lunch next week. Until then, stay safe, stay informed. And we'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.